this morning. Titus chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. God's word says, remind them. So we need to be reminded, them as you and I. It's actually the believers on the island of Crete. But we can apply it to each one of us here today as, as a believer in Jesus. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. I had to read verse 4 because it's going to flow right into the next text. Let's pray. Father, as we look to this text, I pray the Holy Spirit will remind us of the truth of this text, that we would not only be reminded of it, but we would obey it, that we would recognize that our lives matter as they reflect the gospel to the people in Hermantown and the surrounding region. So I thank you, Father, for giving us this book of Titus and this particular text this morning. May we grow and learn in truth. For the glory of Jesus, amen. So the book of Titus, 46 short verses. It's really, a, it's like a coaching manual as Titus is left on the island of Crete. He's to go church to church to let them know that there's things lacking in every church because there is no perfect church on earth. Every church needs improvement. Every church is lacking some area, some place. And Titus' responsibility is to show up at a gathering like this. Can you picture? We're eagerly waiting for Titus, who is one of Paul's protégés, and we know Titus has received a letter from Paul, and we want to know what's in it. And as the letter's being read, it's telling us, hey, we need godly leadership to be established in the church, not only for the sake of the church, but also to be a pattern, an example for us to imitate. And then we have to be warned. There's division because people creep into the church, and they have their own agendas and their own um, rights and preferences. And so that will divide the church, and so there's a warning against that. And then in chapter 2, it begins with very specific instruction to the older men, those that are maybe 50 years old plus, uh, of what they need to do. They, they can't spiritually retire. They've got to be sound, healthy, in faith and love and in, and in patience. You're never giving up. You may feel like, hey, you've put your time in, you've already served. You know what? You never quit. There's, as long as you're alive on earth, there's more for you to do for the Lord, right? There's more serving, there's more teaching, there's more whatever we can do for Christ. And then the older women, very specific instruction. And that is not to be gossips or busybodies, not to give your lives over to selfish indulgence, like um, matters of alcohol or matters of uh, worldly pleasure. Because listen, when you get a certain age and you've lived most of your, or most of your life or part of your life, you begin to think, but I deserve this. It's, I really deserve this. Something's been missing for years and years and years. Maybe the kids have now all moved out, and, and all of a sudden life has changed, and there's an ache and a loneliness that comes with that. And Paul says, be careful, because it's so easy to fill it with something that's not good, but rather use what God has taught you to put into younger women. And the younger women, they're overwhelmed with just the busyness of life. It's the just life. I think of what my mom did to raise five children. I don't know how she did it. And she worked part-time and my grandma was living with us and my grandma needed care all the time. 
My grandma was in a wheelchair. My mom's working at the hospital. And there are five kids. And I never thought about, hey, mom's got to cook all these meals and make us breakfast and put our lunch together and then get us to piano lessons and accordion lessons and on and on and on. You know, how did she do it? But you know what? Younger women in our church, they need older women to come alongside and just to pour their lives into them. And it's not that you're going to have an official discipleship of, well, listen, we're going to meet once a week for 35 weeks, and then you're going to get your certificate of... No, it's the idea of just conversate. Remember how I mentioned that in that sermon? Just You go to somebody and say, hey, how are you, how are you doing? No, really, how are you really doing? Don't just say fine. Are things really going fine? Maybe... Maybe there's something I can pray about. And the next thing you know, maybe nine ladies won't respond, but maybe one will say, hey, you know what? I don't know how to deal with this. Something about whatever, life. Because sometimes life just stinks. It just Sometimes it just is so rotten. You need somebody, and, and that's why we're here in the church. We need each other. And then, and then you just communicate, and you talk, and you pray, and you encourage. And is the church improved when those things happen? You bet it does. It really does improve. And then younger men, men in their teens and 20s and 30s, what does God say to the younger men? One thing, think. Just keep it really simple for these guys. Just think. Everything you do has consequences. Every decision you make. The friends you, remember how I I walked through Proverbs with you on that? The friends you make, the places you go, the girls you date, just think. And just by doing that, you'll maybe avoid a lot of problems. Then he goes on and he talks about people at work. How do we work? What kind of workers should we be? And then he talks about um, the motivation behind it at the end of chapter 2. Why should we want to improve our church? Because the grace of God has intervened in human history and brought salvation to all men, and he's coaching us to deny all ungodliness and worldly lust, but to live a certain way to live away looking for the blessed hope of his glorious appearing because we are, a, we are a peculiar people. We are a very special people of God. And he wants us to be eager and zealous for good works. But then he ends with chapter 2, and he, it's interesting. He says to, uh, t- to Titus, he goes, Titus, speak these things always. You, you sp- in the word speak, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean preach or herald like I'm doing this morning. It's like in every conversation, you're bringing up the grace of God with people. Just talk about the grace of God, speaking continually. But then he says, exhorting people. That means believers. I have to, you guys, my goal in my ministry is to come alongside you and encourage you to godliness, encourage you to faithfulness. Coming alongside like a coach. Hey, good job, way to go. Can you imagine? Listen, if during these rally times of the church assembling together for public worship and praise of Jesus, that we could say, hey, way to go for witnessing. How'd that go last week? Hey, praise the Lord. Keep it up. Let's do more. And we're encouraging, and we even come alongside and strengthen one another like a team. Think of the victory we would have, right? Instead of we all sit here and then go our separate ways and sit here and go our separate ways, that we're actually exhorting one another. And then rebuking some. Some need a rebuke. And how many of you love a rebuke? I don't. I'm rebuked by the passage I'm going to preach today. I've been very rebuked by it, and I don't like rebuke, but it's necessary. And so sometimes we've got to take it. And where we need correction, we've got to humbly go to God and say, hey, I need help. I need correction. Nothing, that's just part of it. All of us are there, and often we're there a lot. And then the last part of Titus chapter 2, he says this. At the end of chapter 2, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with 
all authority. So now the word authority has come up. Listen. Not only do we not like rebuke, I would say most people don't like authority. Whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, or whether it's with our governors and, 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 and presidents. Then let no one despise you. Let no one disrespect you. Man, it's easy to disrespect authority, and we're going to talk about that right now. So in chapter 3, we're moving right off the thought of authority and disrespect. And here's what Paul is instructing Titus. Here's what God is instructing Titus to tell the churches. Not only do we have a responsibility in the church to each other, but listen, everybody, we have a responsibility to live as Christians outside of these walls, in the community, at our workplaces, at the restaurants, at the stores that we shop at. People need to see that we are followers of Jesus. So we need a reminder of how do we live as Christians in an unsaved, ungodly world. Because I can tell you something. I have met a lot of Christians that don't act like Christians. They say they are, but they don't act like it in attitude or action. And I'm offended by Christians, how they treat either one another or how they treat the world. And I'm absolutely embarrassed. And I think if that's what Christianity is, no wonder the world doesn't want to get saved. So what God's going to do is he's going to put a, a finger on our heart and he's going to say, how do you live in Hermantown? How do you live in the surrounding region? How does your life impact southern St. Louis County? How do we impact northern Minnesota? How do we impact the United States of America? I mean, our lives are going to do something in the community and the question is, what's it doing? And he is going to reveal to us our attitude about the world. And it's going to be painful. So get ready. Are you ready for some pain? Chapter 3, here's what I'm going to give you. Four things that we are told to do and seven things that we're told not to do. Because God gives us a list. He says, all right, believers, I want you in Hermantown, Minnesota to, to do four things. And, I, and then I want you to not do some things. And so that's what my challenge is for you today. Here we go. First one, we need to submit obediently to authorities. That's number one. We need to sub submit obediently to authorities. Here's what Paul says in chapter 3. Remind them, remind the believers on the island of Crete to be subject, to be submissive to rulers and authorities to obey. There you go, to submit is it possible to submit but have the, a wrong heart in submission? You bet. Growing up, I think I did that. My dad would say, Brian, I want you to stack this wood pile and get it done before I come home. And I'd be like, okay, I don't want to do that. I have many other things on my young, young child agenda, but I'll do it. But my heart was not, it wasn't out of love and devotion for my father. It was, if I don't, I might get a razor strap or a belt. So you can submit and not do it with the right heart. But you know what we're asked to do? We are asked to submit to all of the authorities that God has ordained in our life. Now, Romans 13, let's hold your place there. I do want you to look at Romans 13 because we need to see some critical words here. Um, I had it on the PowerPoint, but just knowing the problems with PowerPoint in our church, in this wall, I'm going to just go with the Bible here. I had these words on a PowerPoint slide. Romans 13, look at this. One, verse one, let every soul, how many people? Every soul. That means everybody in this room, everybody in the sound of my voice, 
Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Here's why. For there is no authority except from God. All right, so God has established every authority, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Do you believe that? Is it in your Bible? It's in mine. So God is asking me to submit to every ordinance of human authority because he's the establishment of all authority. He owns all authority, and he simply delegated out. But what if I don't like the authority? What if I don't like the authority? What do I do? I still submit. Now notice, in Romans, Paul writing to the Romans, Peter writing his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2, and Titus, when they talk about submitting to governing authorities, there's just no exception. They don't even bring up the Acts chapter 5 clause, which is we obey God rather than man, because you know what? That's very rare. You know, maybe it's more in in some countries, but for the most part, that's not even brought up. It is true. If the government asked me to disobey God's word, I will obey God rather than man. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I just want to confirm to you right now that for the most part, our government, our, gover- our government and things are not asking us to disobey God's word. We submit. Whether it's taxes, we submit. But you don't like taxes. Big deal. That's what we do. Okay, for instance, on our road, there was never a stop sign by our house. We live right on the corner of North Pike Lake and, um, and Helm Road, or Helm Road and the old Bolin Road. There wasn't a stop sign going the one direction out west, to the west. People would drive by our house going 50 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour. There was no stop sign, so they could just, once they picked up speed, they could keep going. A petition went around our neighborhood saying, we want a stop sign here, and I signed it. Because it, just for safety at that T, it's just good to have a, but you know what? I know a believer that said, I don't want a stop sign there, so I'm not only not going to follow that stop sign, but I'm going to teach my family not to follow that stop sign. A believer. And I thought, you're teaching them that, hey, you can resist an ordinance that, a, that the government in our, in our area has set up. You are now teaching your children that you don't have to worry about God's authority. Because if you can't submit to an earthly ordinance that God has established because God has established every authority, then why would they want to submit to God or to any other authority? So then, is it easy to rebel against a church authority? Absolutely, because you're the authority. And, and so why submit and, and, and follow any authority? Do you agree? God has established authority in the home right? God has established authority in the church. The pastor is the overseer. of the, and, it, and again, I'm not saying abusive authority. I'm not saying any, I'm just saying God has established spheres of authority. And as believers, we need to be the very best citizens of our country. Do you agree? We need to be the very best. So Romans chapter 13, it says here in verse 6, for because of this, you pay taxes for they, the government, are God's ministers. Yes, Trump's government, Obama's government, the Clinton's government, the Bush's government, those are, they are God's ministers, God's servants to us. Um, Attending, okay, verse 6, for because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. They're going to put taxes upon us because they need to pay their ability to do what they do. Verse 7, render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. There's no getting around that. You, you, we don't have a choice. We, 
we submit obediently to the governing authorities, whether it's at home or whether it's in the church or whether it's at work because our, work, our, employer, our employers have authority over us, whether it's our city government, state government, or federal government, we submit. And do we do it with complaining? I can't believe that I'm now in a different tax bracket. I don't even know what tax bracket I'm going to be in, but hopefully I won't have to pay. You know, what if they double my taxes? It's the government. Praise the Lord, we have a representative government where we can elect officials into the government that would maybe have our views. But do you see what I'm saying? So many Christians I know speak evil about government, about submitting to government. And I'm thinking, that is not what we're called to do. That is not at all what we're called to do. I'll just read the, this text out of 1 Peter. Listen to what Peter has to say. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake for his glory, for his sake, whether to the king as supreme. And we say, we've got it rough with our governments in America. What about Nero and Rome? Was it easy for Peter and Paul and Titus to submit to Rome? Not at all. They were evil, outwardly, blatantly evil. Do you think Titus telling the churches on Crete to be subject to all the governing authorities and be obedient to them, with the proper heart? Do you think that was easy for the Cretans? No way. They, they, they didn't like that. That's not an easy government to submit to, but they have to do it because that's how we live in, in, uh, in our society. It says, verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You want to know what God's will is? You submit to the governing authorities that are over you. What, wherever they are over you, that's what you're going to submit to. As free, you are free in Christ, but not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. Don't use your freedom in Christ to be blatant rebels. And again, that happens all the time. You, the speed limit says 30. I think it's way too low. I think you should be able to go 40. So I'm giving you permission to go 40. Even though the sign says 30. Is that good? Not at all. Drive the speed limit. You don't like the speed limit? I don't care. That's the law. You agree? And we're not going to go around to the unsaved world saying, oh, those crummy politicians or whatever, I can't believe it's only 30 when it should be 40, and I'm sick and tired of driving so slow, so I'm going to drive whatever speed I want. And an unsaved person looks at you and says, well, aren't you a follower of Christ? Is this, this, well, then why would I want to be like that? You know what I'm saying? Let's go on. What else does Titus, what else is he going to remind the church to do? The end of verse 1, to be ready for every good work, to be prepared, to be looking for and taking action upon every good work in your community, which means we need to be out in the community doing good, doing something good for our community. Absolutely, we need to be ready and prepared for that. We're always looking for an opportunity to use our influence, help others, benefit our community and our area. And if Christians aren't doing that, then who's influencing our community? The unsaved. And no wonder why our society has fallen apart. No wonder why our schools have fallen apart. Because Christians have stopped doing this. We get all the influence of Christians out of the public school. That's why it looks like it does. 
But you get teachers and superintendents and principals that have a heart for Jesus, and they're in these positions. Do you know what kind of good can take place? Tremendous good. But, what, but what, where is the influence of Christians in our country? Wherever they are. Okay, okay. Can you imagine if today every born-again believer, every genuine follower of Christ, went out and looked and acted and sounded like Christ? Do you know what kind of effect that would have in, all, in our society? It, w- it would be phenomenal. But often, nobody even knows we're Christians, and if they do, we aren't acting like it. That's a huge problem. So we need to be ready. So, okay, number one, we submit obediently. Number two, we serve eagerly. We be ready for every good work. We serve eagerly. We're excited to have an impact in our community. We're going to get involved in different things so that we can have some influence. So we serve eagerly. Look at verse 2. To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable. What's the third thing that we are to do? We're We're to submit obediently. We're to serve eagerly. Third, we're to speak gently. We're to speak gently. It says in verse 2, to speak evil of how many people? No one. To speak evil of no one? What about those Hollywood people? They're crazy. What about those Hollywood people? What about our politicians? Can we not speak evil about them? No, we cannot. We cannot speak evil of anyone. And yet, I know Christians, and myself, I've done it as well, where I just bash some athlete or some really far liberal progressive person that I hear them speak and I'm like, ah, I can't believe that they're influencing our lives. Right? But God says, speak evil of no one. Of no one. So when the conversation comes around the the office or at the school, you know what? I'm not going to speak evil of Hillary Clinton, or Donald Trump, or Bill Clinton. I'm just, I'm not going to speak evil of them. But don't you want to give your opinion of what you're, yeah, but you're not not going to because you're to speak evil of no one. It doesn't mean we tolerate their sin, we love their sin, we're going to condone their sin, but we're not going to speak evil of them. Not only that, but they're also God's ministers because they're in authority over us. But how many Christians do you know that just love to spout off evil to everybody about everything? A lot. So we're going to speak gently. Um, The next one is the rest of verse 2. We need to show humility. So we're going to submit obediently to those authorities over us, provided they don't ask us to disobey God's word. But we're going to submit obediently. We're going to serve eagerly. Even though there's going to take, it's going to take some time out of my life, but you know, all of these have to deal with the selfish heart, right? Why don't we like to obey authority? Because we're selfish in our heart. Why don't we like to serve eagerly? Because we're selfish about our time and our treasures. Why don't we like to speak gently? Because I love myself and I really don't like anybody else, right? And, and why don't I like to show humility? Because again, it's contrasted with selfishness. So God has asked me to be peaceable, to love peace, to make peace, to be peaceful with others as much as lies within me, to be gentle, not quarrelsome, not a brawler, 
not a fighter, where everything's an argument. Um, I, I know Christians that just, they love to argue. And they will argue with the unsaved. They will argue. And just to prove their point, they will, they will cut the other person down. And the other person feels like, wow, if that's Christianity, I want nothing. You know, almost everybody I talk to has had a bad experience with church or Christians. Just about everybody I know. I've had a bad experience with, with all of that as well. So why? I mean, we are the body of Christ in this world. So we're, we're to show humility, to be peaceable, to be gentle, and to show all humility, literally all courteousness. To how many men? All men. Okay, so get this. Christians are at a restaurant, and there is the food is cold, the service is bad, what's the first tendency to, to say is, I can't believe I've gotten such lousy service. They're not going to get a tip from me. Even though they might be an unsafe person who uh, is going through overwhelming sinful addictions, losing their family, their family's falling apart, they've just got to make this, they got to show up at a job. And do you expect them to have the right attitude and the right everything? Of course not. They're not, maybe they're not believers. And if they're a believer then maybe you have an opportunity to influence them. But let me ask you this. If, you, if God called you to be a missionary, let's say a missionary to, to South America, and you go down there, and the people around you don't treat you nice, what's your response to those people if you're a missionary? Would you take it or would you put them to task? You would take it. Why? Because it's a testimony for Jesus. You go to the mission field, and somebody serves you something you don't like, you're, you're not like, well, you stupid fool, what are you doing? I don't let this is cold and late, and you are the worst, you give me the worst customer service I've ever experienced. I can't believe i got to put, why would God want to save people like you? I don't understand, but I'm here to give you the gospel so God can save you, but I don't know why he wants to. That's, that's not the mindset. You would go saying, these people need Christ. They're going to act like the world because they are the world. I'm going to expect it. And so I'm going to, Put up with it. It's not a big deal because what's more important is their eternal soul. But listen, everybody, we are missionaries in our area. And when people don't give us the right service or the line is too long and the clerk is too slow, don't take it out on them. Don't take it out on them. It says here, show all humility to all men. Literally, show perfect courtesy to all people. It's not about your rights, your preferences, your time. It's about others. And when we don't do that, the world looks at Christians and says, yuck, ick. Why would I want that? Um, I was flying to another country, and I was in an airport, and it was an all-night type thing, and there was a group of Americans. We were in um, Addis Ababa, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, I was in the air. It's, if you've ever been there, it's a different place. And they, you had to go downstairs, and that was kind of like the holding place. It was, and then it was really, well, anyways, this American group came, and the bathroom was literally like four walls and um, no top and hardly any door that closed. And, I mean, the accommodations, it was, it was not good. I mean, that's just, it's not good. And these American missionaries, and they complained out loud to everybody about everything. And I thought, how are they going to do on the mission field for a short-term mission if 
they come in expecting all the accommodations of, uh, of the Dulles Airport when they don't have running water, you can't drink the water, you know, you don't have any privacy in the bathroom, it's everything, it stinks and it's dark and it's cold. And on, I mean, you could go on and on and on. And I'm thinking, show perfect courtesy to all men. I, if, when I saw that, I was embarrassed for American Christianity. I thought, if this is what Christians are like, I don't even want to be identified with them. Give me another name. Give me another, do something. But I don't want to be ever identified with that type of attitude. And it doesn't mean that I'm, listen, I'm getting beat up on this because sometimes that's my attitude. Sometimes I treat people that way in our community where I'm inconvenienced. You know, at Super America, my uh, rewards card doesn't work. And, and I like the ease and convenience of just using it at the pump and not having to go in. And, and I know I could probably go get another card, but I don't know what to do with my points. I've never used a per- point that I've earned, but I know my wife does. And I'm, I'm kind of irritated that I have to actually go in and pay for my, in order to get my cents off per gallon. But you know what? Shame on me. Shame on me. What's more important is the eternal life of the people that I'm encountering. And so these are four things we need to do. We submit obediently, we serve eagerly, we speak gently, and we, we show perfect courteousness to those around us. Why? God, don't you know the people I am around? I don't, these people are not fun to be around. I don't like bad service at a restaurant. I don't like bad service at a, at a grocery store. I don't like things done shoddy or half-hearted. I like things crisp and ship-shape, you know? God, don't you know? The, how can you ask me to submit myself to authorities and speak gently to all people and you don't even, oh, maybe you do know their hearts and attitudes. So that's why he gives us verse 3. And this is where we're going to end today. God gives us verse 3, I think, to, put, to, to check our pulse. How do we think about the world around us? Verse 3 says this, For we, who's the we? You and I. For we ourselves were also once, what does that word also mean? Same as the unsaved world. Listen, everybody, before you were a believer in Jesus, you also were like them. So God says, how dare you mistreat the people outside your church walls when you yourselves were also once those people? Listen to how he describes them. For you yourselves were also once foolish. You were blinded. You were ignorant about the grace of God and his, his coming. You were disobedient. That, that just characterizes the, the unsaved world as blind and they're disobedient to God's truth. They're deceived. They're duped. They're tricked by the devil himself. They think they've got the answer to life in all of the things this world offers, but they're missing it. They're deceived. They don't know the truth. They are serving various lusts and pleasures. I'm not surprised that the world loves Hollywood and all that this world has to offer in its selfish, mindless, temporary satisfactions. I used to be like that. That's where I found my joy and pleasure. But we also once were serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice. You know what malice is? Just the evil intention of the heart to hurt others. Just malicious. Just wickedness from the heart and envious, wanting what others have, but we don't. And then he goes on, you also once were hateful and hating one another. I break this whole list down into three categories. 
the world is blind. That's, blindness is right there. Um, they were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived. Those three words, they're blinded. The world is ignorant about God's grace, the coming of Jesus, the importance of the cross, the payment for sin, the resurrection from the dead, the life to come. They're just ignorant, deceived, and blinded by it. They're, they're blinded. All right, so have compassion. Next time you encounter somebody in the world and you want to take them to task for whatever, the, just remember, they're ignorant. They don't know any, they don't know. They don't see it. The second category is slaves to, to sin. They are serving various lusts, many various variety of lusts and pleasures. They're slaves to sin. Okay, so they're, they're blind. They're ignorant. They're slaves to sin. And thirdly, they are in relationship destroyers. They have these things that destroy relationships. They live in malice and envy, and they hate, they're full of hate, and they hate one another. All of those are relationship destroyers. And, and God says, listen, everybody, you once were there. You, you once were blind and ignorant about my grace. You once were slaves to sin, serving various lusts, and you were in all sorts of attitudes and actions that destroyed relationships. But stop it. You're not there anymore. You once were that, but now you're different. So that's where the next verse, verse 4, comes in. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, appeared. See, We've been impacted. We've been changed because something intervened in our life. It's the kindness and the love of God. And if you have experienced the kindness and the love of God, then how dare you not give that to the world? He gave it to you. Why wouldn't you give it to the world? Right? No wonder why. I think, I don't think God's writing this like, except with lots of passion saying, children, I rescued you out of the world when you were blind and slaves to sin and destroying relationships. And my kindness and love of God appeared to you through Jesus Christ. So how dare you go out in the world and not do the same thing? You show them the kindness and the love of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Titus has to remind them continually of this because next week we'll forget. You know what the love of God and the kindness of God did in the appearing of Jesus Christ? He washed us. And all of these words, verbs of what he did, it's not what we, we didn't wash ourselves. We didn't seek after God and wash ourselves. He came and washed us and regenerated us and cleansed us. He did it all. Isn't that awesome? It's not what we did. It's what he did to us. And he changed our lives. He changed us. I'm not the same person I was. Today is my spiritual birthday, October 1st, 1993. He changed. I am not the same person I was on September 30th, 1993. On September 30th, literally, I was blinded and I was ignorant and I was serving various lusts and pleasures and I had all sorts of attitudes and actions that were destroying relationships. I was malicious and envious, hating others and hating things. I just hated life. I just, you know wasn't fair. But the kindness and the love of God appeared to me on October 1st, 1993. I placed my faith in him. He washed me. And all of a sudden, I had a whole different attitude toward this godless world. I mean, these people are going to die and go to hell for all eternity. 
and they will never get out of a lake of fire, ever. But I don't like so-and-so. I don't care if you don't like them. God loves them. Jesus died for them. Boy, if we... How could we, okay, how could we treat the world like that? But how can we treat one another in the church like that? If we can get away treating people like that, either we were never changed or we forgot the kindness and the love of God. If we could treat our family, our church, or our community apart from submitting obediently, serving eagerly, speaking gently, and showing humility, then either we've forgotten the grace, the love, and the kindness of God, or we never experienced it in the first place. And if a Christian acts like this in the world, I'd say you better evaluate. Are you born again? Are you, have you been washed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit? It's all the time we have. Tonight, I'm talking about grace. We're looking at the greatest words of Scripture. Last week, it was about our total depravity. Our, we have fallen as far from God as we possibly can be. But tonight, we're looking at grace. The kindness and love of God, it's all undeserved. It is love freely given with absolutely no benefit to God the Father. No benefit. As a matter of fact, all it was was a cost to him. But that's what grace is all about. I'm going to give you two examples of grace tonight because I think those examples of grace will be more powerful than just a definition. Um, Can I ask you a question? Has the kindness and the love of God impacted you? Has it changed you? This morning, God has kind of put a taken our pulse on how do we think of this world. God has sent you as a missionary to this world. If he sent you anywhere else, you would really care for those people. You would, you would, you would think, I don't care what they do to me. I'm going to show them the love of Christ. Show them the love of Christ here. All right, let's pray over. Father, thank you for showing us um, just as we think about the lost and the people around us that people see Jesus in us either distorted or in a pure form of God's glory and holiness. And we, we just want to have an undistracted, undistorted picture of Christ to give to the community. We care about the men and women in Hermantown. Some have moved here, and they're in our communities, whether it's Esco, Cloquet, Saginaw, Hermantown, Duluth, Superior, we're going to run into them at restaurants, at Menards, at Fleet Farm. We're going to run to them at the gas station, at the supermarket. And Father, we want to be known as Christ followers. We want people to, to hear and see and know Jesus. So we don't want to say one thing and do another. We need to be authentic. Father, we're not surprised when the world acts this way. But it is a surprise when Christians who once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, 
serving various lusts and pleasures, full of malice, envy, hating and hating one another. We are just absolutely shocked believers could be like that. But Father, I'm shocked I can be like that. I pray for anyone here who has not experienced your grace, the kindness and the love of God through Jesus, that they would trust him right now for their salvation. That it's not by works, it's not by religion, it's by faith alone in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus. We give him glory now. In Jesus' name, amen.